I think I did a, t- a talk on the, a vision for the church last year sometime. You can check it out on the podcast. You might have, uh, that might be helpful to you. Today, I want to talk about legacy because all through this week, as it, it's funny how certain words kind of pop out at you. And for some reason, that kept catching my attention. Uh, as the politicians and others were interviewed, every now and then, it wasn't a big banner word like this, that word legacy came, uh, seemed to bubble to the top. And uh, even in, uh, on our site here, all the directors went next door to have a look at the new building, going to the atrium and had a little look around there. And I'm delighted to say that between these two services, uh, you will have an opportunity to walk around there and, and go into the atrium next door uh, and just catch a, a glimpse of what it is that God is doing among us. It is amazing. Now, please, parents and guardians, please don't let your kids go running off. You can't go exploring corridors. You have to stay in the little corralled area. But as we were through there, one of the directors just muttered under his breath saying, this is quite a legacy. This is quite a legacy. And again, that word kind of popped into my mind. And so I started thinking and praying about legacy. These two little things, legacy and our God reigns were the things that kept coming around to me. Literally, as I'm waking up, I'm singing old Songs, our God reigns. How many remember that? Our God reigns. I'm thinking, God, I, I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. Oh, it's to wake up to it, you know, for. Quick, get that radio one and a cup of coffee on. You know. uh, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing. But yeah, this thing about legacy is interesting because, and I was doing a little bit of reading, not a great in-depth reading, but as I read, somebody said this, and it's true to me. Legacy is one of those things that we all leave behind, whether we want to or not. There are some people who actually spend a lot of time thinking about their legacy. Often politicians are talking about, you know, when, uh, political commentators are talking about, you know, Obama's legacy and, you know, Mrs. Thatcher's legacy and all this kind of stuff. It's not just something for the, the high and mighty, the great and the good. A legacy is something actually we all leave. It, it's, it's how our children and our children's th- children, our, our colleagues, viewers, it's... it's works that we've committed to. And as far as the church is concerned, I think we've been rather slack on legacy. I don't think we've left a very good legacy. The 20th century, and I was born in the middle of it, you know, it was a difficult time for the church. It really was very difficult. And, and, and we were so divided about theology, liberal, liberation theology. I remember spending hours talking about that at college. And, charismatic theology and Pentecostal theology and evangelical theology and doctrine, and we just disappeared into little holy huddles and argued with one another, and the world walked by and couldn't care less. But this is a different age. This is a different, you know, most of the nation are waking up this weekend and they haven't got our God reigns going round and round their mind. They're thinking, what? What's going to happen now? What next? But you and I amongst that, that elite group of chosen people whom God has chosen and whom God has said, love my son and love my church. And what's more, I call you sons and daughters. And I'm just thrilled about that. And that's not 
as we did when we were teaching the blessing series, that's not a cause for complacency. Oh, I'm okay, great, got that sorted. With blessing and privilege comes great responsibility. Cliche really, isn't it? But we, as those who now are the church of Jesus Christ, are called to really up our game. And we've been teaching this, haven't we, with the holiness series and what have you. And it bears even more import now. And I, it would be my prayer that we as a people, the vineyard, play our part in the wider church scene and that we leave a lasting legacy, a lasting legacy. So what does a lasting legacy look like? And I'm gonna personalize it. I'm gonna speak to you as individuals, although of course we're a community, because I believe this is true, not just for the church, but it's also true for me. You know, if you're gonna leave some kind of a legacy, if, uh, you know, if you're gonna leave either blessing or, or a wake of destruction behind you, whatever, you know, you need to be intentional about that. Don't just let it happen. And so three very simple things. I claim no, I'm not gonna win the Preacher of the Year Award with this because I'm gonna say things that some of us say, well, we know that, we know that, we know that, you know. The truth of the matter is, at times like this, when all seems to be shaking, we need to remember what we know. We need to live what we know. Thank you. So the first thing is the legacy that I hope I and this church will leave and the church will leave will be first and foremost a passion for Jesus. A passion for Jesus. Not just a passion for God or, yeah, I believe in God. It goes beyond that. I'm fond of saying at this moment, even the devil believes in God and that's no great thing. You know, we're talking about a passion for Jesus. Why? Because the Father has said, The Father has said, believe in my Son, and he will lead you into all truth. The Spirit of God comes to reveal truth to us. And and the difference between me now and when I was a 20-year-old was that I sort of believed in God when I was a 20-year-old, but I was leading a godless life. You can believe in God, but lead a godless life. But the difference is now, you know, I, I resolved this question many years ago. I decided I would follow Jesus. And so I've tried to build my life and my family and, and, and bless my family with that. So the first thing I want the church to do, the first thing I want to leave to my kids, the first thing I want to leave to my neighbors and my friends is a passion for Jesus. There's an intentionality about There's an intensity about that. And, you know, if we need the scripture to back us on this, which I guess we probably do, uh, and it'll come up on the screen, follow on your, in your Bibles. Do, can I encourage you folks? I mean, one or two of the other preachers have said this. I'm beginning to miss seeing Bibles in church. I see lots of smart devices, and I use my smart device and read. But let's get back in the habit of bringing our Bibles along, you know? And the reason I like that is that you can mark the Bible. I mean, I'm, I'm shamelessly marking my Bibles. And I wear Bibles out. I hope you've got a few worn out Bibles at home. I've got four or five now. I'm not really counting, but I've got, I've got Bibles that fall apart. And I think there's something about that. It's something, when I flick through the pages, I mean, this one, I mean, of it's marked there, but, you know, I flick through the pages, and, and you know, there's, there's things in orange and, and, and yellow and highlighted and stuff. I think, why, why have I done that then? And I read it again, and I suddenly remember, oh, yeah. That was when God was teaching me about prayer. Yeah, whereas a smart device, it's less easy to do. I'm not knocking it. I'd rather you have something than nothing, but... But, uh, you know, let's, uh, and if you need a Bible, if you haven't got one, I just ask at the welcome desk, we'll, we'll front you one. 
And I, I, mean, I don't need another one for your, for your, <laughs> your collection. If you haven't got a Bible, all right? So passion for Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 37. Thank you. He's been, Jesus has been asked, what are the greatest commandments? And the first is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And, and I just... I'm going to rattle through fairly quickly on this teaching. But that first word, love the Lord your God. It could be obey the Lord your God or tremble before the Lord your God or even bow down before the Lord your God or fear the Lord your God. But it isn't. It's love. It is love the Lord your God. Why is that? Because Father God wants us to reciprocate the emotion that he the feeling that he has for us. So he doesn't look upon us and mutter under his breath that what that Chris needs is a darn good hiding. The Lord doesn't look upon us and think, I will give that, that little so-and-so is at it again. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, there, there is a rightful place, particularly when we're talking about holiness, about fearing the Lord our God. It, it's, a, it's an awe and a reverence. We are dealing with God. We're not dealing with our mate, my mate Trevor. We're, we're dealing, you know, my mate God. You know. It's not like that. But I love it how this first commandment is love the Lord your God. Why? Because the God loves us and he loved us first. It's not that hard, is it? Love the Lord your God. And out of that, we develop this passion for Jesus. I, I love the way that, that Paul um, summarized it. I, I've actually summarized it a little bit myself. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this. And he's, talking, he's reflecting upon his life so far. And this may be a good time when we reflect upon our life so far. And Paul says this. You know, I had every advantage one could dream of. I really did, you know. I had every advantage one could dream of, but they pale into insignificance. Indeed, I count them as nothing compared with the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. You know, to know Jesus and to know the fellowship of of his presence in your life, to know his joy, his call, and even sometimes his suffering is, is certainly the greatest privilege that I've ever had. To hang out with God in a meaningful and purposeful way. To know the Lord of all creation and know his, feel a sense, his tenderness and his love towards me is extraordinary. Is absolutely extraordinary. So that was my little paraphrase. I had every advantage one could dream of, but they pale into insignificance. Indeed, I count them as nothing compared with the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. The second thing is it, and it flows readily out of the first thing. I said there were three things, three things, three elements of this legacy is love, what I call love in action. Love in action. And there's been this, there seems to have been this tension in the church over the years. Certainly there was a tension in, when I was at theological college between being a mystic and loving God and loving people. There was a call to that. And then there was the other people who say, oh, phooey, blow that. You know, it's about liberation theology. It's about action. It's about at work in society. Well, how we ever separated those two things, I do not know. 
You know, the scripture warns us, do not separate that which, you know, do not divide that which man, God has united. These things are not only supposed to be working together, but one is an expression of the other. If you love God, well, then you should be active in that. Matthew 22, verse 39, the follow-on from what we just read, you know, Jesus says, let's just flick that up. Matthew 22, verse 39. Love the Lord, thank you. And the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's, I think, something we're beginning to rediscover, loving our neighbor, but we're still a bit weak on the as as yourself because that calls for sacrifice. We will love and put ourselves out for one another when it's convenient, when it fits in with the diary, or, wait a minute, let me have a look. Oh, no, I can't do that, sorry. What I'm saying is we need to go the extra mile. We need to be seen as a people, if we're to leave a lasting legacy, who will go the extra mile. Jesus said this. Now, he said, you know, if somebody, you know, uh, takes your Coke, Coke? (laughs) Takes your Sprite, you know. (laughs) If if somebody takes your coat, walk with him the other mile. Now, that's wrong, isn't it? (laughs) No. Give him, give him your other one. You know, go the extra mile with people. You see, that's, that's where you cross the line from being a nice neighbor to learning how to inconvenience yourself. And I think we will leave a lasting impact upon this nation in these years to come. If the church is seen as a place where we put ourselves out to serve the community, we put ourselves out to serve the community. Not just do a good turn, that's the Boy Scouts. The church puts itself out to serve the community. I mean, we, lots of things go on. I mean, we've got such a wonderful staff team here. A very quick one, I mean, you haven't known it, but I'm gonna just mention it now, you know. We have a wonderful toddler group here. Maybe you did know that. There's a waiting list for this toddler group. And you will find at the back of this service and on that back wall, before you rush off next door to have a look in the thing, there is an involved desk there, and, and you may meet Sharon Crichton and others who head up our, our toddler group. There's a waiting list for this. Actually, at the moment, we're short of helpers, so if you can give some time, talk to them about that. But this is a ministry that's been going on for years now. Do we talk about it every other week? No. We mention feed a lot at the moment, but do we talk about that? No. But go to the back there and you will find that there's a fantastic ministry going on where people are putting themselves out to serve mainly non-Christian. They're predominantly non, you know, pre-Christian, non-Christian, call them what you like, folk. This is an amazing opportunity to minister. There's a new ministry coming up. We're having a, we've got a family rep. Look at that lollipop. A new ministry there, you know, which is... It's really for, for those who are coming, not as an individual or a couple or a single, but people who are bringing families. And Claire Wilson and others are, are putting together a team to greet them and, to, and just to help make it work. This way of, you know, Claire's got four, is it three kids or four kids? I can't remember. Three. It feels like four, I know, yeah. Um, no, don't tell her I said that. Um, she's got kids. She does the same as you parents do. She, rushes around on a Sunday morning to try and get them all here and 
get them into class. But she's, she's putting herself, she and David are putting them, her, themselves out so that they can, they're trying to think about what other families felt, feel like. And we need to just inconvenience ourselves a bit. Being a Christian will inconvenience you. We'll, we'll say it again. So loving, love is, 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 is actually something that we do, not something that we feel. And I love this little verse, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, I'm here with the second part of it. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If we have faith, then we, we love. And love isn't a hidden thing. Love is something that took Jesus to the cross. Love is something that calls the apostles to go through extraordinary uh, um, deprivation and, and, and risk in order that there was a legacy, a, a legacy we call the gospel that was passed on and our forebears did the same thing. And this is a season, mark my words, where there is an opportunity for the church to stand up and be counted. I mean, a lot of this immigration stuff that's been going on with the, you know, the debate about that. We had a little situation here a couple of weeks ago where we were asked by the regional refugee council whether we wouldn't mind hosting a couple of Syrian refugee families just for a morning while they sort some stuff out. We were pleased to welcome them. And I knew you'd be okay with that. You know what really struck me when I met them? And uh, I, I did my homework. I found out what a traditional Syrian greeting was. Have I told you this already? Oh, okay. And it's quite, I'm glad I looked it up. You, 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 you kiss the men, but you ignore the women. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know how you women love being kissed. No, no, I, I didn't say that. No. Um, it's a Syrian greeting, you kiss them on both cheeks, so we did that. And, uh, but you know what really struck me, and I'm ashamed to admit it, they weren't sort of wearing hoodies, shuffling from foot to foot, eyes downcast, which is the caricature that the press and our media and our, some of our politicians would have you believe that, you know, one of these immigrant types looks like. They were, a little they were two little families. There was the grandfather, the grandmother. There was a very young-looking husband, a very pregnant wife, a couple of kids. The eldest of whom was about eight or nine, and she was into everything. But they looked cold, getting used to this climate and this rain. They looked disorientated. And I'll be honest, they looked fearful. And it just suddenly struck me, and I had heard it said, that they didn't choose to come here. They were driven from the land they love. They left their grandma's graves and uncles and other brothers and sisters who were perhaps murdered, and they made the most hazardous of journey to be here. And I did in that moment think, oh boy, we've got to be so careful when we talk about immigrants and refugees and what have you. And I was able to say to them, I, I said to them, I said, I want to say something to you that we say often in our church. And it's simply this. 
welcome home. But I know that that's difficult for you because you've left behind everything that's dear to you and now you're in a strange and foreign land. Well, please hear my heart on this. Even though I look different and it looks different, on behalf, behalf of the community that I represent, I want to say to you, welcome home. Church, let's position ourselves in a way, whatever we voted during the week, God bless you either way, let's position ourselves where we are intentional in making the most of every opportunity to leave a legacy, a legacy of hope, of love, and a memory of what those Christians were like. Do you remember when we first came? Everybody, we were so, but the Christians, the Christians made us feel safe. The Christians made us feel welcome. The last thing on this legacy thing, and as I say, it works at all sorts of levels. First of all, passion for Jesus. The secondly, you know, love in action. The third thing is this, treasures in heaven. You know, uh, it'll probably all work out. I trust God. Felicity and I have been saving for our pension pretty much since I started working. And uh, we've been putting for years and years and years, I have to say, on a very, on what was then a very low pastor's salary, managed to save 25 quid a month. So we were disciplined, but that's not going to go very far, you know. Well, the last few years, we've been able to save more. But like all of your pensions, all of your stocks and shares, I saw our pension overnight drop by 8%, you know? And it just reminded me, and I kind of looked at it, and it didn't make me panic and didn't make me feel fearful. It really didn't. I just, it elicited a wry smile in me. And it just reminded me this, that actually the only treasure that really counts is treasure in heaven. It really is. And that's with money as well. You know, um, I'm, I'm fond of my kids, and I'm rather fond of the kids that our staff have. So I... I, I invite them to call me Papak. They call me, in fact, you know, your kids can call me Papak. I'm fine with that. Papak is the name my grandkids call me. And I'm a little bit uh, soft about our, our staff's kids. And, and Jill Yon, our business manager, there was an inset day. She brought her two boys in. And while, while, while Fliss wasn't looking, uh, you, well, it's fine anyway. Um, I pulled my wallet out and I had two five pound notes and I, I gave them a fiver each. And uh, dear little Luke, I mean, he was like that, you know. And uh, Jamie's already counting up how many Lego bits he can buy, you know. <laughs> but uh, Jill told me afterwards, when they were driving home, Luke said to his mum, he said, Do you know what, mum? I want to give £2.50 to phase two. And that's what he did. And I asked permission to share that. And Jill said that was fine. And I love that. That's good parenting. You know, he's got parents who know that, you know, we need to prioritize the kingdom. I'm going to tell you one story and then finish. 
a friend of mine tells a story about they were doing a fundraising thing and and you know as uh, as you launch a new campaign you you're always aware of and you have hopes and and, and you know who the the big givers are anyway and you hope that they will uh, you know it's a spiritual gift giving you know it really is and some people are gifted to give large sums of money and you hope that they'll they will sort of you know man up and do their thing but this friend of mine he was saying that he came into the office one day and, the, and their business manager called him into the office and said, we have just received a gift of 400,000 pounds. 400,000 pounds. And needless to say, his first question, who, who, who's it from? And, and Jill, uh, not Jill, um, their business manager said, well, it's Michael... Freeman, does that ring a bell with you? She says, I, was thinking, I couldn't think who it was. And, and immediately all these faces flashed in front of my friend's face and he said, I couldn't think who Michael Freeman. And then I suddenly realized Michael Freeman was a, a single guy, being a widower for, uh, his wife had been very w- ill until recently. And um, he sort of sat somewhere over there, usually the same, he and his wife sat there, but now he'd been coming on his own, you know. And uh, I thought, Michael Freeman, I mean, he just, Seems such a quiet, unassuming, ordinary guy, you know. Not a fancy car, not a fancy house, not great givers and all the rest of it. And he was just staggered. So he, uh, he determined to go and visit this chap, Michael Freeman. And uh, when he did, a little bungalow, you know, again, neat, neat little garden, very unassuming. He went in and had a cup of tea. And Michael Freeman was really quite surprised to see the vicar because... That we could never visit it before. <sighs> anyway, he, he said, Michael, I, I wanted to come around. I, I, I know we did your wife's funeral, my colleague did that. And we, but this 400,000 pound gift, it's by far and away the biggest gift we've ever had. What is that about? And you can tell, he could tell that Michael Freeman was not the kind of guy who normally talked about money. He was a little embarrassed. But he said, well, when my wife Shirley died, uh, there was a a cash thing. And I suddenly thought, what am I going to do with all this money? You know, this insurance money and and, and our savings that we were saving to do. What am I going to do with it all? And he said, "I I thought, well, what would Shirley like me to do? And he thought, well, there's nothing I need. I need, the kids need a little help, but I know what Shirley would have me do. She would have me give it to the church. So that's what I did. And then he said to my friend, he said, the funny thing was, as I put the envelope in the basket that day you had that gift day, something flashed through my mind. And it was simply this, I'm sending this on ahead to Shirley. I'm sending this on ahead. You see, that was a little revelation about scripture. When you give to the kingdom, you're investing in the kingdom, but you're doing more than that. You're stacking up treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven, little Luke's learning that. It's treasure in heaven. 
Now, next door is going to be a wonderful legacy, and I hope that we will use it well. A friend of mine, a pastor, he said, what I love about that place is that it seems to be dedicated to serving others, not serving yourselves. And I said, well, I'm glad you caught that. But the truth of the matter is this, that we do need 150,000 and some still to finish the main building thing, so I, I hope that you will go away and think and pray. But in terms of a legacy, and that may well be in this place, and we as a community may leave a, a legacy in this community, please God, but I do believe it's these three things. Three distinctives. A passion for Jesus, love in action, and treasure in heaven. Let's enter heaven, the life to come, the real life that is yet to come, in riches and not as paupers, eh? Let me have the band up. Let's just pray. Shall we stand? Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Father, thank you. Thank you for these, these times. May we be like the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. At this time, Lord God, may we, may we build a lasting legacy, one that is centered on the person of Jesus. And Lord God, we pray that we would be known for a passion for Jesus and a fierce love, a love that expresses itself in faith and action and that we might be generous, Lord God, in all that we have and that we might, that we might build your kingdom here for future generations, and in doing so, lay up treasure in heaven. And everyone said, Amen.